When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. And right now, without any further ado, here's... What's your name again? Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How are you? I'm doing great. We uh, went up to Redfish Lake last week. And, rub it in, rub it in, rub it in. Uh, beautiful up there. It the is mountains, phenomenal. You know, and the weather was just right to be up there. It was. It was nice. Yeah. So love the mountains and love up there above uh, Ketchum, Sun Valley, up in that area. Oh, yeah. So, Did you get any thank yous or well, well wishes? The, or? the, the schnitzel fluster. <laughs> I can't help but laugh. He, he, he emailed me and he has given up his, his crown of being the farthest away because the Australia boys have now taken over, have been the farthest away listeners. You've got to be kidding me. But uh, he suggested that we try to get somebody from the International Space Station to write to me. Okay, but we've got some kangaroo chasers that listen. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my. You well, betcha. good morning, mates. <laughs> yeah, you betcha. So, anyway, uh, yeah, if anybody knows anybody on the International Space Station, <laughs> get them to send me an email. You're begging now. Oh, I am. I am. <laughs> Yep. So today, Zeb, we're going to talk about the myth of Deadwood Dick. You've heard of him? Uh, Yeah. Okay. I have. Uh, So back in the horse and buggy days, you know, the boys who found time to sit in the shade of the barn and read had no hero more thrilling than Deadwood Dick. Whether he was fighting Indians or holding up a stagecoach, he was the man to be admired. And tales of Deadwood Dick were just reasonable enough to be believed by a lot of the readers. Okay. Now I'm going to show you. Did this come picture. out in a kind of a comic book or? Well, uh, I'm going to show you a picture here, Zeb. Oh, this okay. is. See that picture right there? Yeah. Okay, that's what these half dime novels looked like. I see. And that's what they looked like when they went out to the public oh. to be read okay. by, uh, by the, the general public. Oh, I see. So, you know, while most folk uh, heroes probably had their origins in real people, Deadwood Dick sprang into life full blown as purely fictional character he was purely fictional yes but we're going to talk about some guys that thought they were deadwood dead. i see all right so only later did flesh and blood men claim to have been the person on whose experiences this uh fictional tale was based and uh so we know that deadwood dick was created in 1877 he was the chief character in the opening number of the beetle and adams half dime library mm. Uh, so you've heard of dime novels and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. So this is kind of in that in that same thing. But the author of this short paperback novel and its sequels was Edward... Who wrote these, by the way? That's who it is. Edward Wheeler of okay. Philadelphia. All right. Okay. All right. uh, he, and he'd probably never have been out west? Uh, we'll get into that a little bit. Yeah. I see. Uh, he'd written some fiction for periodicals and for other pocket libraries. Wheeler was born in New York. In 1854 or 55, somewhere in there, his family moved to Pennsylvania. In the early 1870s, they moved to Philadelphia, and he did fairly well as a writer, actually. <clears throat> but 
when the first of the 33 Deadwood Dick novels appeared, Holy dated God. October 15, 1877, the mushroom mining town of Deadwood in the Black Hills of Dakota Territory had been in existence only about a year and a half. And following the discovery of gold in this gulch, the town had a lot of publicity. You know, you had Wild Bill Hickok, who had been, obviously, had been killed there. Yeah. You had Calamity Jane, who mm-hmm. was making a name for herself. Uh, you had Sam Bass, who was robbing stagecoaches and, and other outlaws. But without having been in the West, you hit on this. Wheeler made some errors in the geography of Deadwood and the Black Hills, but his settings were accurate enough to be convincing to most readers, he wrote with pretty good skill, uh, making use of humor and suspense. Well, let me ask you a question there. there. I, this Wheeler was never there, okay? Right. How did he gather somewhat information on, uh, to show a depiction of how people actually lived and their like clothing and the guns and that type of thing? You know, there were a lot of other books out. Uh, at that time. So I'm guessing that he probably read other books about the West enough to where he could uh, somewhat reasonably describe things. I see. That's going to be my guess. Uh But until the appearance of Wheeler's first story in this series, there had been no general publicizing of anyone called Deadwood Dick. Now, one man in the mining town had been called by that name, but only briefly and locally. He was a guy named Dick Brown. He was a handsome entertainer and had a black mustache and a goatee and came from Cheyenne. He sang and played the banjo, uh, uh, where he usually was better known as Banjo Dick. Uh, Before long, he got out of Deadwood after killing uh, the piano player. It wasn't good to have in a band. No. No, you I don't see. want a banjo-killing dick. No, it wrecks uh, everything, man. Pian, pian, yeah, anyway. Yeah, cuts down on the number of musicians. Yes. So there is a strong presumption that Wheeler drew only from his own imagination for the name of his favorite character. And to learn what his most popular fictional character was like, we only have to turn to the opening pages of the initial story in the series. It's called Deadwood Dick or The Prince of the Road, or The Black Rider of the Black Hills. Oh, my. And so I'm going to read what the opening bits of that would have been. Okay? So this is Wheeler's words. It begins by quoting uh, a, a sign tacked on a pine tree in the mining uh, area. And this is what it says. Quote, $500 reward for the apprehension and arrest of a notorious young desperado who hails to the name of Deadwood Dick. His present whereabouts are somewhat contiguous to the Black Hills. For further information, apply immediately to Hugh Van Severe at the Metropolitan Saloon, Deadwood City. Now, Wheeler goes on to describe Deadwood as a booming mining town of 2,500. Most of its people living in tents and shanties, you know, strung along the gulch. His saloons and dance halls, he notes, are crowded at all hours. Then he returns to this scene of the cardboard sign on the pine tree. Now, remember, he's never been there. I was going to ask you, did he call something? He couldn't call somebody. <laughs> did he uh, write somebody Some, or whatever to get information? Don't know. But somehow he described it. So... So the book goes on, the novel goes on. Quote, a horseman riding north through Custer Gulch. Oh, you're making me shake. He continues, notice the placard so prominently posted for public inspection. Mm. And with a low whistle, wheeled his horse out of the stage road and rode over to the foot of the tree and ran his eyes over the few irregularly written lines. 
He was a youth of an age between 16 and 20, trim, of muscular development, broad and deep of chest, square, iron cast shoulders, limbs small yet like bars of steel. And with a grace of position in the saddle rarely equaled, he made a fine picture for an artist's brush or a poet's pen. Now, can't you just see an eight or ten year old boy reading that and think, "Wow!" Oh yeah, yeah, this what is a, great. What a yeah. great desperado. Yeah. Well, he continues. Okay. Only one thing marred the captivating beauty of the picture. His form was clothed in tight-fitting habit of buckskin, which was colored jet black and presented a striking contrast to anything one sees as a garment in the wild far west. And this was not all either. A broad black hat slouched down over his eyes. He wore a thin black veil over the upper part of his face, through the eye holes of which gleamed a pair of orbs of piercing intensity, and his hands, large and knotted, were hidden in a pair of gloves of a lighter color. Sounds like my neighbor. (laughs) The black rider, he might have been justly termed, for his thoroughbred steed was as black as coal. But we have not seen fit to call him such. His name is Deadwood Dick. I'm telling you, I got why the hair's standing up I on the know, back of my I, hand, you know, and I'm ready to you, go get you'd this. You'd be guy. so anxious for the next, oh, the next, the next part installment. Of the story. Yeah. So, but the Wheeler stories about Deadwood Dick were greeted with uh, such enthusiasm that in 1880, the author wrote a play called Deadwood Dick, a road agent, a drama of the gold mines. And it had a short run and later was revived in New York. But the popularity of the paperback novels on Deadwood Dick was such that after Dick was killed in the 33rd and final issue, which came out October 20th, 1885, readers demanded that the publishers start a new series on Deadwood Dick Jr. So after the 33rd novel, the author killed him off. Really? Somehow. Did you say that it was also carried in newspapers? Uh, yeah, uh, bits and pieces. Yeah. I see. Yeah. I see. So the new junior series began about 1886, but although they carried the, the byline of Edward L. Wheeler, the author, they were not written by him. Wheeler had died probably late in 1885, about the time his fictional character was also allowed to die. But the publishers, apparently wishing to capitalize on his name, made no public mention of his death, but they hired a ghostwriter to uh, continue the new series. Doesn't sound legal. (laughs) Well, uh, what do you call it? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it it probably wasn't. Okay. (laughs) Although the stories you know about Deadwood Dick Jr. were less well written than the earlier series, they were in such strong demand that they were continued into 1897, running through 97 versions or stories, uh, three times the number of of the original Deadwood Dick. So where were these written? Back in New York City? Yeah, back where he was living or where he was, uh, what, okay. Pennsylvania. So they're back in New York City, and they're writing these dime novels, right? Yeah. And how did they get them distributed? I think just through salesmen traveling throughout the West. You know, they'd uh, load up a bunch and take them out and drop them off at different bookstores or, or mercantile stores, uh, any place that they thought they would sell. I'm going to ask you this: Are there still copies out there available? I don't know. I've you know I've wondered about that. If I could, I'd love to get a hold of one just to for the fun of it. Yeah. You know, we have a caller with a quick question. Caller, good morning. You're on the air. Go ahead, please, quickly. Good morning to you and to the doctor. You know, Deadwood Dick was on Death Valley Days at one time, 
and I don't remember what, but he was kind of dressed up in black, and he was a phony character on that show. Do you remember that, Doctor? I do not, but uh, I watch that show all the time. So, thank you. Appreciate thank you that. very much. I appreciate that, Keith. God bless. Thank you. So, you know, after Wheeler's uh, Deadwood Dick series began to appear in 1877, they became so popular and were so convincing that many readers assumed that there must have been a real Deadwood, Deadwood Dick, Dick yeah. on whom they were patterned. And despite the fact that the fictional character was a desperado, at least six men came forward to claim the title. One of them was a guy named Dick Cole. He was a stagecoach driver, often referred to as Little Dick. He wanted to be called Deadwood Dick, but the name did not stick since he was not widely known. Another guy called himself Deadwood Dick was Richard P. Palmer, about whom we don't know anything about, and he died in 1906. And another guy called Deadwood Dick briefly was a guy named Robert Dickey, who stood more than six feet in his deerskin moccasins, and he had long hair. He claimed to have served in the Pennsylvania Cavalry in the Civil War and to have battled Indians after the war under General George Crook. Uh, later, he was an Indian agent and for a time went into the fur business. After the slaughter of the buffalo herds, he gathered bones from the plains. Finally, he became a drifter, was arrested for vagrancy in Denver, and died in jail. Hmm. So that's our third fiction or guy that claimed. You know, the name choice had to be really, really well thought out because you couldn't call this character Deadwood Oscar or no. you couldn't call him Deadwood Melvin or... The title was everything. Yeah. Yeah. Now, a fourth claim to the nickname after it had been made popular by Wheeler was a guy named Richard Bullock of Lead City, a stagecoach messenger who guarded uh, the shipments uh, to the railroad, later who moved to Los Angeles and was reported to have died in Glendale uh, in 1919. Now, the fifth guy, and this sounds a little more reasonable, uh, claimed the title was Nate Love. You know Nate Love. I've heard that. Yeah. The li- uh, Nate Love wrote a book called The Life and Adventures of Nate Love, better known in the cattle country as Deadwood Dick, huh. and it was published in Los Angeles in 1907, and the book is packed with a lot of factual errors. Raymond F. Adams, the widely known writer on A Cowboy Life, uh, commented that although Love claimed to be writing about his own experiences, he either had a bad memory or a good imagination. He was a rodeo rider. I remember. Uh, You did a story on him. Yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The sixth of those who posed as the original of of Wheeler's fictitious characters was one who received the most public attention, and his name was Richard Clark. And I'm going to talk probably the most about him. Uh, Information about Clark is kind of uh, fragmentary and and sometimes contradictory. Uh, John S. McClintock, a Black Hills pioneer who knew him, wrote, that Clark was born in 1848, and he was raised in Ireland. A newspaper obituary sent out from Deadwood just after the death of Clark said uh, that he was born in England about 1845. Anyway, he came to America as a youth. Mm-hmm. And with the excitement over the discovery of gold in the Black Hills broke out in the spring of 1876, Clark joined a party of men who set out from Bismarck for the new diggings. They took with them a small herd of cattle, 
But on the way, they were attacked by Indians who severely wounded one of the prospectors and ran off with their cattle. So the plan of raising cattle kind of that went by the wayside. Well, Clark settled in a place called Crook City for a year uh, where he was a section hand on the railroad. He worked for a livery stable. There's no record that he did any mining, ever drove or robbed a stagecoach, or that he was known as Deadwood Dick in the frontier area. His transformation into the myth did not take place until the 1920s, and by now he's an old man. Right. And here's how that happened. So just when Clark began to think of himself as Deadwood Dick is kind of uncertain, but in 1924, the Deadwood Chamber of Commerce, to advertise the city, began sponsoring an annual parade called the Days of 76. Have you ever heard of that? The Days of 76? The days of 76. It's one of the biggest in, rodeos in America. In Deadwood. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, in yeah. Deadwood. I mean, the Deadwood Days of 76 is one of the most prestigious PRCA rodeos in the country right now. Okay. So, anyway, in this parade, they uh, rode various local people decked out in costumes to represent Wild Bill Hickok, Calamity Jane, and other colorful figures. So... Either in that year or soon afterward, Clark dressed up as Deadwood Dick. He began riding in the parade along with others impersonating frontier celebrities. He wore a long hair wig, a 10-gallon hat, high boots, a pair of pistols were stuck in his belt. Then in 1927, when Deadwood uh, people were trying to uh, induce President Calvin Coolidge to spend his vacation in the Black Hills, a publicity man named Burt Bell had the bright idea of sending Clark in his frontier clothes, as I just described, with a personal invitation. This suited the old man fine, and he made the trip. He got a lot of publicity in newspaper stories and pictures. So everybody's starting to think this guy is Deadwood Dick. Yeah. All right? Yeah. Well, when Clark returned home, he refused to go back to his humdrum life. He appeared to have deluded himself into thinking that he really was Deadwood Dick and that he had experienced all the frontier adventures attributed to him. A pamphlet printed for sale to tourists said he had been born in Cheyenne in 1855 and had been a gold prospector, a scout, and a deputy United States Marshal. Now remember, Man. this guy had done none of that. <laughs> And there's more. (laughs) You talk about writing your resume. (laughs) And there's more. (laughs) Newspaper stories uh, talked about uh, this account, saying that Clark had been a trapper, a trader, a fighter with Custer, a guard for treasure coaches, a Pony Express rider, and the hero of many adventures. (laughs) What didn't he do? Nothing. He did everything. Oh, okay. Well... State well, of the say, he, was a, Express. He, he was a little bit delusional. A little bit, you say. But uh, he began traveling around to appear in frontier festivals and medicine shows. The Deadwood Chamber of Commerce, they recognized his publicity value, and they built him a summer cabin in a place called Pinecrest Park, where he greeted visitors. In 1929, he claimed that in the winter of 1881-82, he... He had led a hunting party which had killed more than 2,000 buffalo on the Yellowstone River. So he was really, he was into this. But the real frontiersman who still survived in the Black Hills, the real guys, uh, a guy named John S. McClintock said uh, uh, he'd been there for 30 years. And he said, quote, there's no such character as Deadwood Dick. He pointed out that Clark never had lived in Deadwood in the early days. A, doc, a DM uh, McGeggy 
Deadwood's archivist, uh, said uh, Clark didn't know which end of a gun to hold away when he pulled the trigger. <laughs> the only thing wrong with Clark, he added, was that he was never able to get back to normal. <laughs> of course, there never was any Deadwood Dick, either outside of Wheeler's novels, but we talked about him so long that he seemed at least as real as Wild Bill and Sam Bass and Wyatt Earp. Wow. Richard Clark died early in May 1930, and his funeral drew an enormous crowd. He was buried on the top of a hill with, get this, Zeb, with a military salute and taps. His grave is still shown to tourists as that of Deadwood Dick. So this myth of Deadwood Dick started with pure fiction and just snowballed. Grew. Yeah. You know, it would be interesting out there, audience, if anybody does have any old copies of the dime novels, yeah, uh, the dime westerns and everything, man, I would give anything if I could yeah. see those. Now, I get this story, Zep, from, you see this magazine, Frontier Times, yeah. October, November, 1969. So, you see these yellowed pages, but I, I find these older magazines oh, yeah. have a lot of, a, lot, a lot of good stories. And there's a picture of Clark. See him sitting there? Yep. Uh, absolutely. That's a picture of Clark. Wow. And then Nate Love over here on this other side. Okay, hold on. Hold, lift it up a little bit. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. There's no picture of Clark there on that cover. Uh, you gave me the oh, wrong whoops. one. <laughs> yeah, you showed me. How about this cover? There, that looks a little <laughs> bit better. Oh, the Dangerous Desperado. Yeah. A very, very interesting program, even though the whole nine yards was as phony as a $3 bill. What can we say? It's hey, great. I love it. I, and anybody in the International Space Station, <laughs> send me a, send me an email. There you go. And by the way, beam us up, Scotty. There's no intelligent life. There we go. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.